tonight is actually a very, very good night for you to be here because uh, we have a special treat for you. Uh, normally, normally what we do on a Thursday night is we, you know, I, I talk about something that uh, maybe you care about, maybe you don't, uh, and I hope you do, but that's normally how a Thursday night goes. But tonight... We're actually talking about stuff that you want to talk about because you've been submitting questions on ask.fm and tonight we're going to be answering those questions. But the real reason that tonight is very, very special is because it's not just me answering those questions. That's right. Tonight, the rumors are true. Tonight, my beautiful and incredible wife, Catherine, is going to be joining me here on stage. So let's give Catherine a big, warm M12 welcome. Come on. Welcome. Thank you. How's it feel? So great. This so is good. I, I, uh, I love uh, I love M12. This is like my favorite favorite night of the week, and uh, I love spending time with Catherine. And so it's a neat thing that we get to kind of combine those things tonight. So some of you may know this. Some of you may know that uh, Catherine and I have been married for almost eight years. So I know we uh, we've known each other for close to ten years. And so what that means is is uh, Catherine has a lot of embarrassing stories about me. Like oh, yeah. a ton. <laughs> yeah. Uh, too many, actually. And so, uh, I don't know. I think they, they probably want to hear some embarrassing stories. You guys want to hear some embarrassing stories? Okay. So, can you tell them a few embarrassing stories about me from, from when we were dating? Absolutely. Nothing too embarrassing, though. Like right, just right. Moderately embarrassing. I have, I have a, a nice selection to choose from. Um, Unfortunately. Right. Okay. So, you guys know we went to UGA. Uh, that's where we met. Go dogs. Um, and we, when we were students, we would love to go to all the Georgia football games. Um, and at the beginning of every Georgia game, the band plays the national anthem, you know, the Star Spangled Banner. Um, and everyone in the stadium stands up and, you know, puts their hand on their heart. And it's very American and patriotic. And everyone sings along. Um, most people take it seriously. Well, Stephen would purposely. Um, sing as loud as possible and he was like singing in the wrong key like purposely hitting all the wrong notes um but on top of that he he actually tried his hardest to sound like an old woman from new york and it was just like so bad and um, what uh what does that sound like exactly could oh you give gosh. them like kind of a sample oh of like do you guys want to hear that this is embarrassing for me <laughs> all right Oh, oh, please don't ever remember this. Um, okay, here goes. And the rocket's red glare. <laughs> that was my best attempt. That was, that was awesome. horrible. Um, but it was, I mean, it was so crazy because everyone around us could hear him and would like turn around and look and I was just like trying to hide my face. Oh my goodness, <laughs> it, was, it was bad. I actually have one more oh, no. if, if, you're, if you're okay with me. Yeah, yeah, sharing. go with it. You um, guys wanna hear another one? Yeah. One yeah, more, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, when we were dating and in college, we would go, um, you know, to like birthday parties or holiday parties with our friends. Um, and sometimes they were costume parties where you would dress up and Steven would get really into it. Um, so this one time he and his friends were celebrating Cinco de Mustache, which is actually Cinco de Mayo. Um, and so, you know, 
he and his friends would like shave their facial hair into just a mustache and go celebrate and eat Mexican food or whatever. Um, well, this year he had already had a really long goatee. Like it went very far past his chin. Um, so when he shaved off just the middle of a goatee, all that was left was like the grossest, longest handlebar mustache that you've ever seen. Um, but he took it a step further and tried to dress just as creepy as possible. Um, so he had on white pants, a white button-down shirt, but like the top three buttons were open to like flash a little chest hair. Um, he had his hair greased back, like he looked kind of disgusting. Um, and I think we actually have a picture of that for you to see. <laughs> right, that's my husband. That's, that's something you can't unsee, you know? You're gonna, you're gonna wake up tonight and be like, ah, it's still, it, it just burned. Okay, get it off, get it off. Okay, good, that's. So good. <laughs> it's terrible, that's terrible. Uh, so she could really be here all night telling embarrassing stories about me, but that's not why we're here. That's not why we're here. The reason we're here is because you have submitted questions about dating and about relationships, and we want to answer those questions here. Uh, so, so let's go ahead and do it. We're going to start off with the very first one. What's the first question? What age do you think is a good age to start a relationship? What age is a good age to start a relationship? This is a really good question by the way, um, and there were a few questions that were like this that actually came in on our ask.fm. Um, here's, here's what you got to know first. The Bible is actually silent on this question. Um, in other words, there's no verse that says, like, you got to be, you know, 15 or you got to be 25 or you got to be 45, you know. There's no specific age that's set up for when it's okay for you to start a relationship. But there are plenty of verses about what it means to actually uh, be the right person and also wait for the right person. Just like last week when we talked about how um, who you're with changes how you live. Um, some of you remember that from last, uh, last week. And we also asked you to write down, <clears throat> write down the list of characteristics that you know you need to wait for in the next person that you date. So I would say um, when it comes to answering this question, whether you're 13 or whether you're 30, um, don't date or don't get into a relationship until you meet a person that actually fills out those characteristics and those qualities. And then there's another thing I want to add. And... Uh, you're not going to like me for this, but your parents are going to love me for this. And uh, when it comes to this question, this is a conversation you need to be having with your parents. This is something you need to talk with your parents about, which means if your parents say not till you're 16, that means not till you're 16. If your parents say not till you're in college, that means not till you're in college because God clearly set up the family. He clearly set up parents as an authority over you. And God even said, honor your father and mother. He actually attached a promise to it. He said, your life is going to go really well when you do this. Like honor your father and mother. So when it comes to actually answering this question, this needs to be a conversation uh, with your parents. I actually had um, that conversation with my parents, um, you know, in, in middle school and um, their rule for me was that I was not allowed to date till I was 16. Um, so I honored that and respected that, and I did not date until 16. And uh, I just want to—I want to add one more thing. If it, uh, don't expect God to honor your relationship 
if you're not honoring your parents. Um, and believe me, you want God to honor your relationship. And so I'm telling you, you got to talk with your parents about this. And, and, and uh, parents are different. So you might have friends that say uh, to their kid, go ahead and date. And your parents may say, not till you're 16. You need to honor what they say when it comes to answering this question. Cool. Okay. So let's go to the next question. Uh, this, this is how it came in, by the way. This is like all caps. So I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it all caps. How do I get a boy to like me? Okay. So that's the question. And I'm not qualified to answer this question. So I, I can tackle I'll let, this one. I'll let Catherine. Um, you know, I myself had the same question in middle school because I, you know, I had the same desire. Um, and in middle school, I thought the answer was um, dressing immodestly and flirting. I thought that's what it took. Um, and I quickly realized that that attracts the wrong kind of guys. Um, and for me, it wasn't worth it. Um, so shortly after I got out of high school, um, you know, God grew me up um, a lot and helped me realize that how can I get a guy to like me is really not the best question to ask. Like really the, the better question is how can I become the woman that God's created me to be for the man that God has for me in the future? Um, cause if your goal is just to get a guy to like you, um, then potentially you're going to like change yourself, like change your behavior, change, um, the way that you act and talk and dress, um, all just for the sake of getting a guy's attention. And, Number one, if that actually works and you do get a guy to like you, um, it's only going to last for so long because he'll be able to see through it. Like you can only hold up an act for so long and a relationship is not going to succeed when one or both of you are being fake, like not being your true self. Um, but number two, if, if that is the route that you choose and you do try to kind of change yourself, um, for a boy, um, you're potentially going to make decisions that put you on a path away from the amazing future that God has for you. Because God really does want to give you an incredible husband, um, someone that you are totally attracted to, someone that you deeply love. Um, God desires to give you an incredible marriage. Um, but if you're not growing into an incredible woman, then how are you going to get an incredible guy? Um, so I think really the best thing is just to be real, be honest, be genuine, be confident in the woman that God has created you to be. Um, cause that's, what's going to, you know, lead to the best relationship in the future. That's so good. She said something just, everything she said was amazing, but she said, if you're not growing into the incredible woman that God wants you to be, how do you expect to get an incredible guy? And that's huge. That's huge. By the way, um, when Catherine and I met, we met in college. Catherine did not dress immodestly, uh, nor did she flirt with me at all, okay? <laughs> like, for real, which is why, and some of you know this, I, I, I talked about our, our first date and me actually asking her on a date. I literally had no idea what she was going to say. Like, guys bank on flirting. You know what I'm saying? Like, 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 we wait for the girl to flirt with us, and then we're like, oh, she likes me. I had no idea that she actually liked me. Um, and she did, like... Like you oh, yeah, I did like you, but I didn't show it. That's right. She didn't. So she didn't flirt at all. Now, here's here's the thing. Um, because she didn't flirt, she actually exuded a lot of confidence. And that was actually more attractive to me. 
Like the fact that she was confident in who she was and she didn't need a guy was incredibly, incredibly attractive to me. Um, Because I don't know, girls, I don't know if you know this or guys, I don't know if you've ever like said this, um, but guys can smell desperate. Like we know. And we can sense when a girl is just like, just wanting a guy to like him and just doing whatever, like just desperate for that attention. Like we can smell that. And uh, when you are desperate, you're going to attract the wrong guys. You're going to attract the wrong guys. But, but when you are confident in who God has made you to be, you're going to attract the right guys. So that's huge. Awesome. Okay, let's go to the next, the next question. All right, we're about to get real. Y'all ready? Okay, here we go. Is abstinence the right choice or is it okay to not wait? Now, uh, for those of you that don't know, the first or the second word's a little, uh, it's, it's kind of a big one. Abstinence means uh, waiting to have sex for marriage, okay? Um, so what it's saying is, should I wait to have sex before marriage or, or, or should I wait to have sex when it comes to marriage or is it okay for me to just go ahead and have sex before marriage? Okay. Now this, uh, this question actually came in a variety of forms. There were, th- this was hands down the most popular question that came. And so, um, I want to go ahead and answer this question right now, which means that we're going to talk about sex. Okay. So some of you are like, that's weird. Some of you are strangely excited. Um, <laughs> but that's okay. Okay. So we've got, we've got a diagram here. I'm just kidding. <laughs> You guys got really nervous. It's going to be awkward. It's not going to be that awkward, though, okay? Okay, so so as we talk about this, okay, as we talk about this, uh, here's, here's the main thing you got to know. Uh, sex was God's idea, okay? God's the one that created it. God's the one that designed it. God is the one who thought of it. Okay, he was not like, he was not surprised when the first two people had sex, right? He wasn't like, I didn't know they could do that. No, he knew, okay? He was well aware, okay? God is the one that created it. God's the one that designed it. God is the one that made it. And, and this is, this is key, God is the one that made it very good, okay? God made it good, right, Catherine? Yes. There we go. <laughs> God, I'm telling you, but listen, but the same God that designed it, the same God that made it, and the same God that made it incredible is the God that made it for marriage. That's what he made it for. See, God's design for sex was to unite a man and a woman in marriage, and that is the context of sex. In fact, this is this is like the first verse in the Bible about sex. It's from Genesis 2:24. It says this, uh, or that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united. Okay, and that's fancy Bible word for sex. So a man is united to his wife, not just anyone, but to his wife, not just someone he likes, to his wife. And this is what happens: they become one flesh. They become one flesh. Now. Here's what that means. That means that sex is like super glue. Okay? Here's what I mean. Here's what I mean. Super glue uh, takes two things 
and sticks them together for the rest of their lives. Okay? Super glue takes two things and sticks them together for the rest of their lives. And in the same way, sex takes a man and a woman and sticks them together for the rest of their lives. Now, listen, in the right context, sex, just like super glue, is a really good thing. For instance, if you've got, if you've got like a broken plate or you've got a broken cup and you want to fix it, super glue is awesome. It'll take those two broken pieces, stick them together, and everything is good to go. But if you take your phone and you super glue it to the wall, that's a really bad thing, right? I mean, I mean, I mean that is not good at all. In fact, here's the deal. If you want to get your phone back... What you have to do is you have to rip it off the wall. And when you rip it off the wall, the wall is going to be broken and your phone is going to be broken. Which means that sex outside of marriage is also a terrible thing. And afterwards, it leaves both people very broken. Because see, sex is incredibly, incredibly powerful. And God designed it to be that way. And there's a lot of students um, and even some adults that come up to me and uh, say things like, well, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just physical, right? I, it, it's just sex. And I think that's bogus, okay? The reason I think it's bogus is because if it was just sex, then why is it that when two people have sex and then break up, their heart breaks? Why is it that there's depression when that happens? How come, how come sex outside of marriage causes families to split apart? Why is that? It's because sex is an incredibly, incredibly powerful thing. And in the right context, it is awesome. But outside of that context, it is not good. Some of you have heard me say this before. Um, sex is like a fire. And the fire in your fireplace brings warmth and comfort. But outside of the fireplace, it brings devastation and damage. And so... Um, yeah, is there, is there anything you would add to yeah, that? Um, yeah, I mean, just like you said, um, God designed sex to only take place inside marriage. So abstinence before marriage is absolutely the way to go because that will truly lead to a better marriage than if you choose not to wait. Um, saving sex for marriage really does lead to more trust and more honesty and deeper intimacy in marriage, um, like all the important things that a relationship is based on. Um, so, so really the way that God designed it is like the best possible outcome for us. It's for our benefit. It's for our enjoyment. Um, so please believe us that the, the hard work pays off. Like it is so worth the wait. Um, and, and we're so thankful that God has been so kind to us um, in the marriage that he's given us. Um, we, we truly are blessed to have a great marriage. And if this is something that you want in your future, um, if this is, you know, kind of the thing you're striving for, then go ahead and make the wise, godly decisions now in middle school and in high school, because um, that's what will lead you here to this kind of relationship. It's awesome. And um, the verse right after this, uh, right after Genesis 2.24, uh, Genesis 2.25 said, um, so Adam and his wife, uh, it's, it's, it's actually one of my favorite verses, it says, so Adam and his wife were both naked without shame. And I love when a Bible verse talks about two naked people. I think it's awesome. And uh, the thing that I love about that verse is that it says they were both naked 
without shame. Without shame. And when you have sex outside of marriage, it has shame, it has broken hearts, it has regret. But sex inside of marriage doesn't have any of that stuff. There's no regret. There's no broken heart. And that's the way that God designed it. Two people without shame. Awesome. So let's go to, um, let's go to the next question. Um, I told you this is a popular one. Is it okay to have sex if you love each other, but you aren't married? Okay, so, you know, the idea is like, okay, Steve, I get it. So we're supposed to, you know, save sex for marriage. But like, what if you like, what if you really love them? Like, what if you're really, really, really in love with them, but you're just not married yet? Is that okay? Um, I, I, would, I would argue that you don't know what love is. You don't know what love is. Um, and I get it because I know that, you know, when I was in middle school and I was in high school, I was like, no, nah, I totally know. But you don't. In fact, there's a, uh, there's, a, there's a story in scripture about a guy named Jacob. And it says that this guy, Jacob, loved Rachel. It says he loved her. And this is how much he loved her. It says that he actually worked for Rachel's father for seven years before he ever touched her, before he ever kissed her, before he ever even had a conversation with her. He worked for seven years. In fact, this is the, this is the verse, um, Genesis 29, 20. It says, so Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. See, he loved her so much, so much that he was willing to work and wait for her. And so if you really love her, that means you'll wait. I mean, I remember when we talked about what it meant to actually be the right person on the first week, we read these lists of descriptions of what true love was. And the very first description from Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 said, love is patient. Love waits. And so if you actually love her like you claim you do, then that means you'll wait. Yeah, I'll add to that. Um, in the future... Um, <clears throat> Yeah, if you, guys, if you know you're going to marry this girl, um, then just go ahead and marry her. But if you're not ready for marriage, then you're definitely not ready for sex. Yeah, and by the way, in case there was any doubt, you're not ready for marriage, okay? Uh, just want to yeah. go ahead and clear like that right up. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. One day, yes, but, uh, but not right now. Awesome. Okay, so let's go to, to the next question. Mm. What is... Uh, what is going too far in a relationship centered around God? And so here's, here's the big idea of this question. Um, maybe some of you are like, okay, Steve, I get it. Like, I need to uh, wait to have sex. I need to wait for marriage um, before I have sex. But how close can I get? Like, what is, what is too far? What is too close to sex? What's the line that I can get right up next to? And I don't think that's the right question. See, I don't think we should be asking the question, how close can I get to sin? How close can I get to sex? Instead, I think a better question is, how close can I get to purity? In other words, how far away can I run from sexual immorality? See, there's a, uh, there's a verse in Scripture, and some of you have heard me say this before. It's from 1 Corinthians 6.18, and this is what it says. It says, flee. Um, which means run. It means run away. It says flee from sexual immorality. 
So what it doesn't say is try to get as close as you can. It says flee from sexual immorality. Um, so when we were dating, we, uh, we set up some boundaries in dating, physical boundaries that we didn't want to cross because we wanted to flee from sexual immorality. Um, and uh, I like to think of these boundaries kind of like guardrails. And uh, have you guys ever been driving on like the side of a mountain and you got the mountain on one side and then like a cliff on the other? You know what I'm talking about, right? And it's like if you were to fall off that cliff, it's like an abyss and like goodbye, right? Like it's a, it's a, it's a bad thing. Um, when you're driving on that road, on the side where the cliff is, you've got a guardrail. And the whole idea of the guardrail, it's there so that if you bump up against it, you'll be safe from the danger zone. Because, again, the danger zone is like the abyss, like falling off the side of the mountain. And so what they do is they put this guardrail right there to make sure that you don't actually fall off. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but the guardrail is not right on the edge of the cliff, right? It's not right at the danger zone. What they do is they back up the guardrail to actually be closer to where the car is and further away from the danger zone. In other words, what they want to do is they want to put a guardrail right there so that even if you bump up against it, you won't be in danger. And so we kind of approached dating the exact same way that we wanted to put guardrails that for some of you, it may seem really strict, but we put these guardrails in place because we didn't want to get near sexual immorality. Yeah. I'll, Do you want to talk about Yeah, them? I would love to kind of list some out for you. Um, kind of the, the first thing we said was go no further than kissing, um, nothing beyond kissing. Um, we said... Obviously, keep all your clothes on, um, fully buttoned, fully fastened, all clothes on. Um, and I want to add uh, to the kissing piece, yes, just sorry. to make sure that's clear. Um, some of you are, are aware of, like, the baseball analogy, right? Like, first base, second base, third base. Um, what that means is you, you can go to first base eventually, and then that's it, okay? So no further than first base, period. And by the way, the really good news for you is that when you're married, all the bases are legal. Totally fine, right? Anyway, so go ahead. Yes. Um, so we also said, um, obviously, watch your hands. Like, watch where you put your hands. Your hands should not be under each other's clothes at all. Um, and, of course, you can hold hands, but that's about all your hands should be doing. Um, we said no laying down together, um, even in, and you know, we were, we were serious about it. Like, even if you're not on a bed, just the physical act of like being laid down together, that in itself can be a temptation. Um, so that means like yeah. no naps together, like, like not like no reclining together. Right. Um, and then we set up some like strict off limits areas. Um, so that was pretty much no chest, no butt, no crotch. Nada. It's clear. It's clear. The end. No touching. Yeah. And, and here's, here's the neat thing about those boundaries and those guardrails. Um, when you're not laying down together and you're fully clothed and you can't do anything more than kissing and your hands are in plain sight, it's pretty much impossible to have sex. It is. And that's why those guardrails are there. But, but if you've got your guardrails set right on the edge of sex and you're laying down together, and you're naked, and you've already gone further than you want to go, then it's almost impossible to say no. And so because of that, we put, we put this guardrail so, so, so far away to make sure that we never got close to that. 
And, and, and believe me, like we were tempted, we, uh, we wanted to go further with each other, but we knew it was best to wait. And so because of that, um, we, uh, when we got married on July 28th, 2007, both of us, both of us were virgins. And that's huge. And that's a, that's a big, big deal. And by the way, if, if you hear that and you're like, oh my gosh, like goals, right? <laughs> if, if that's what you want, then y- you too can tell this story one day, but it means you've got to set up the same guardrails. And it may seem strict, but that's what you got to do. That's what you got to do. Okay, cool. Let's go to, let's go to the next question. Uh, how do you guard your heart while you were dating? Okay, uh, this is, uh, some of you remember from last week, we talked about Proverbs 4.23, says to guard your heart, and we talked about it in the context of like who you date, uh, but you also need to guard your heart in dating. Do you want to talk about that? Absolutely. Awesome. Um, so obviously, like we just said, we limited how far we went physically because Truly, like what you do physically is tied to your heart. It's tied to your emotions, especially for girls. Um, So a great way to guard your heart is to guard how far you go physically. Um, Another example is that we chose um, to not say I love you to each other until we knew we would get married, as in like when we got engaged. Um, And that was because we we felt like the words I love you are special and sacred, and we wanted to reserve that for only the person we were going to marry. So the very first time that I heard Stephen tell me I love you was when he was proposing. Um, it was, it was awesome. Um, another, another example of, uh, guarding your heart is that, um, we didn't spend like every single moment together. We didn't spend, like we weren't together 24 seven. We, um, hung out with our friends and maintained like a level of individuality. We didn't close ourselves off and only hang out with each other. Like being, being consumed by the other person, um, in dating is not healthy and, and doesn't help guard your heart. That's so good. Awesome. Okay. Let's go to the next, the next question. Um, what does it look like for the guy to be the spiritual leader of the relationship? I can, I can take this one as well. Awesome. Yeah, do it. Um, to me, um, if the guy is a spiritual leader, um, which girls, this is something that you want. <laughs> Trust me. Um, if the guy is a spiritual leader, it means he already has um, an established, firm relationship with God. Like, he doesn't need a girl to push him to Christ. He doesn't need his parents to push him to Christ. He already, on his own, is consistently pursuing God, and he's simply inviting the girl to pursue God alongside him. Um, so for us, what that looked like is, and still looks like, is Stephen holds me accountable. Um, he lovingly calls me out when I'm in the wrong. Um, he teaches me about God. He tells me what God is teaching him. Um, he encourages me to pursue God, um, because what's best for our relationship is if we're both tending to our own relationship with Christ. Um, I don't get to be lazy in my relationship with God just because I have a spiritual leader. Like, um, 
it's important for me to still like, you know, nurture my relationship with God. I still have to seek him. Um, and so part of the way that Stephen leads me is that he prompts me to, you know, stay on track with the Lord. Um, like basically for all relationships, um, the guy, you know, the guy leads it. The guy sets the tone of the relationship. So if the guy is pursuing God, um, then it's going to go well and the relationship will honor God. But if the guy is not chasing after Jesus, um, then the relationship is not going to honor God and um, will probably end in hurt and, you know, damage will be caused. That's right. And, uh, Catherine is incredibly kind. She uh, she also calls me out um, for things that um, that I'm not doing uh, correctly. Uh, she she also holds me accountable. Um, but but I think a big part of leading, at least for a guy, is that you're inviting the girl into honesty, which means I have to be honest. And I need to be authentic. And so what that looks like for us is sometimes I'll be spending time with the Lord and God will say, hey, you know that thing you're doing? That's not good. Um, that needs to stop. And then I'll take that to Catherine. I'll say, hey, Catherine, you know this thing I'm doing? It's not good. It needs to stop. And so now she is holding me accountable. And so just because you're the spiritual leader doesn't mean you have it all together. It means you're inviting the other person uh, into honesty. And it definitely, definitely means that you are chasing after Jesus. Um, and the other thing I want to add, too, is that sometimes when we talk about the guy being the spiritual leader, we have like a tendency to think that it's, uh, you know, that like we, you know, uh, sing Kumbaya together and have like an hour and a half couples devotion every night, you know, like three times a night. And that's just not true. OK, that um, that is that is not how how it goes. Uh, we, we share scripture with one another. We pray with one another. Um, but honestly, and I don't even know if I sh should be sharing this, but like there are some weeks that I don't necessarily share a piece of scripture with her. Uh, and then there are other weeks where I share like three or four pieces of scripture with her. And so it's not this mandated thing. It's much more organic. And again, it's, it's all about me continuing to chase after Jesus and inviting her along with that. Um, unfortunately, that's all we have time for, uh, for tonight. Um, but can you guys give Catherine uh, a big hand for tonight? I hope, uh, I hope, I hope that this has been this has been helpful for you. And I want to say, I want to say one more thing before we um, before we dive back into uh, one last song. There are some of you tonight that um, that maybe have been given hope, and the hope is that despite what you've seen before, maybe even maybe even despite the way your parents are, a relationship that is both God-honoring and life-fulfilling is possible. It's possible for you. But it starts today. And what I mean by that is the decisions you make today determine the stories that you tell tomorrow. And maybe it's not on a stage like this. Maybe it's in front of two or three friends. Or maybe it's 15 years from now and you're at work and you're talking about how you and your wife or you and your husband first met. And the question for you is, on that day, when that day comes, what story will you tell? Will you tell a story of purity? 
Will you tell a story of hard decisions that led to a fantastic relationship? Or will you tell a story of regret? And here's the good news. Your story starts tonight. It starts today with the decisions that you make. The decisions that you make while you're in a relationship, the decisions you make before you're in a relationship, it actually starts today. And there's some of you, there's some of you that tonight, after like the first 10 minutes, you checked out because you're thinking, I've already messed up too much, right? Like I've already, I've already gone further than I wanted to. And I want you to know tonight that your story, your story starts tonight. Your story starts tonight. That means in spite of what you've done in the past, your story starts tonight. And for some of you, that means difficult conversations that you need to have. Maybe some of you need to have that conversation with your parents. Maybe some of you need to have those conversations with your small group leader. But to get a relationship like we have, which, by the way, is the greatest relationship I've ever been in, like ever. And she, uh, I tell this sometimes, and, and it may not make sense to you. She is the biggest tangible evidence of God's grace to me. Like God giving me stuff that I don't deserve. And she, she's the biggest one that I can actually reach out and touch. But... That starts today for you. So don't wait until, you know, uh, till you're 18. Don't wait till you're in college. You can start making decisions tonight. A lot of the stuff that we talked about, you can begin implementing tonight, and I hope that you do, because I think that it will not only change your relationships, I really do think it can actually change your life. So let me pray for you. God, I, uh, I'm so grateful for these students. And I, uh, I care so much for them, and I want them to be chasing after you. I want them to be making hard decisions that lead to a full life later. And so I pray that tonight would be encouraging for them, that they would see that this is possible, but they need to start making decisions today. And God, I would love it if they could get a glimpse of you because uh, I love Catherine so much, but you love them even more. In fact, Scripture even compares you to a husband. It says that the way a husband should love his wife is the way that God loves us. And so I pray that these students would hold on to the fact that you, the greatest husband that's ever lived, laid down your life for us. You are so kind to us. And I pray, God, I pray that the practical things we talked about tonight would be implemented in these students' lives, even tonight, as they go home. Thank you for your love. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for laying out wisdom that we can actually hold on to and that can actually change our life. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.